Hello, and welcome to another episode of Terminal Talk, the podcast from the Tank Storage Association. I am Nuncia Florio. A new report by the Hague Center for Strategic Studies, commissioned by the Federation of European Tank Storage Associations, analyzes recent changes to the geopolitical landscape, focusing on the impact of the war in Ukraine on European energy security and decarbonization, with a specific focus on the tank storage sector. In this episode, we will look at the impacts of these changes, as well as what's next for the European tank storage sector. Joining me today are TSA's Executive Director, Peter Davidson, and Executive Director of the Federation of European Tank Storage Associations, Ravi Batiani. Hi, Peter. Hi, Ravi. Hi, Nuncia. Hi, Nuncia. Uh, so, uh, today we are going to uh, look at a recent report commissioned by the Federation of uh, European Tank Storage Associations, also known as FETSA, which very much looks at the key role of the terminals sector in energy security of supply and resilience, as well as what's next for the sector as it navigates complex challenges, from securing affordable energy supplies in a changing landscape to continuing to play a key role in European decarbonization efforts. But before we delve any deeper into the report and its conclusions, I would like to ask Ravi, who is joining us from Brussels, to give us some background on the series of reports which have been commissioned by FATSA from the Hague Center for Strategic Studies, exploring the sector in the medium and longer term. Thank you very much, Nunzia, and thank you for the invitation to participate in your podcast. Very exciting for me. So we have done a number of papers uh, written by the Hague Center for Strategic Studies as part of the think tank or research capability of FETSA in, in, uh, at EU level. And the first paper sets out the role of European tank storage today. The second paper looks at the role of European tank storage as we move towards 2030, so in the middle of the energy transition. And the final paper in the original series looks at tank storage with the 2050 timeline to, timeline to try and divine a little bit how our sector is going to develop. But today, I think we want to focus on the most recent piece of research, which looks at the current geopolitical transition that we are in and how geopolitical developments impact on the storage sector. So what we are trying to do is to translate a little bit the headlines that you see in the, in the newspapers and economic publications into the daily life and daily investment decisions that take place at terminal level. Yeah, thanks, Ravi. And I think it's it's really is a timely report, particularly against the uh, background of the current war in Ukraine, and essentially the key role that our sector has with regard to energy security and resilience. And last year, there were a number of actions uh, were taken in in response, weren't there? Indeed. So you had from 
the G7, so let's say EU, UK, US, uh, etc. sites, sometimes referred to the collective West, about the import bans on Russian energy products, notably coal and oil. And you also had a number of export bans, let's say from the G7 towards Russia on uh, mechanical equipment, technical assistance, uh, these kind of things. Um, to slowly degrade the capability of Russia as a producer country, which of course impacts the long-term supply agreements into Europe. And this is really evidence that we are living in a competitive world that's more inclined to impose sanctions and use strategic products to pursue geopolitical goals. And for FEDSA, it really reconfirms the notion that strategic reserves are going to remain central to security of supply. Another aspect is that as oil declines in importance, other products like synthetic fuels, low carbon ammonia, critical minerals, advanced chips, and so on, are going to increase in are going to increase in importance as uh, commodities. So strategic stock holdings are going to change and they will have to cover, let's say, future energy carriers and other strategic products. So when we talk about future security of supply, we have to think in much broader terms that we are doing today. Also considering a broader range of industrial inputs than we, than we consider today. Indeed. And um, so, Ravi, uh, this is uh, quite important and um, uh, we have touched upon some of uh, the uh, geopolitical risks that we face. Could you tell us a little bit more about why they are so relevant to our sector? Sure. So I think the common thread amongst the various risk areas uh, where you have a changing balance of power in the world today. And there are three particular areas where the balance of power is changing. Right. So firstly, I would say there's the high north, the Arctic area, where there's competition for resources, there's competition in terms of who can influence the governance of this area and access to the resources. And the basic premise is that the balance of power change is between Russia and the West, notably because of NATO expansion into Finland and Sweden, basically putting Russia more on edge where you can expect a, a reaction. And so when you change the balance in power, you increase the risk of incidents, accidents, escalatory moments, that can lead to unforeseen consequences. Yes. The other main area is in Russia, Ukraine. So here the escalatory potential is related to the current war. So let's say a regional conflict and how it might develop into potentially a great power conflict, further implicating changes to energy flows, particularly related to gas. Right. And the third area is in the South China Sea and Eastern Pacific. So here the conflict potential is related to the change in the global balance of power as, as opposed to, let's say, a, a regional 
bounds of power change and it's complicated by regional alliances and potential changes to the status quo in the China-US relationship, again with the potential for escalatory incidents with significant disruptive potential. And the commonality between these three scenarios is that each scenario impacts specific trade routes or critical minerals access or energy flows. And so it leads to potential for disruption of supply chains. At the same time, there's another geopolitical change impacting our sector, and it's that the role of OPEC is changing. So originally, OPEC was about price stability to ensure consistent returns on investment and so on for producer countries. But more and more, it's less about OPEC being a price stability forum and more about individual OPEC members using their producer status to gain, to gain the geopolitical geopolitical leverage and this reduces for western countries for consumer countries i should say energy supply reliability for hydrocarbons and even clean energy imports if we look at the gulf for example as a future clean energy producer country and the same pattern is going to repeat in other jurisdictions where either you have existing energy carriers or future energy carriers where there are dependence relationships between geographic Europe or other consumer countries and, and producer countries. And the conclusion that I really draw from this is that across the spectrum of energy carriers from oil to gas and then to critical inputs like critical raw materials and minerals, storage is really needed for stability of supplies, its buffering effect for supply and demand, and also to prevent leverages from being routinely used against uh, Europe and the other G7 member states. And I think it's also important to stress that the HCSS report also looks at gas and gas storage. So, for example, it points to LNG imports, for example, from the US and Qatar, increasing significantly to Europe in 2022 as a result of the war in the Ukraine. And it it also points to the fact that the EU adopted a new storage regulation in June 22, according to which storage sites had to be filled to at least 80% of their capacity before the winter of 22-23 and to 90% ahead of the following winter periods. Though, again, it's important to stress that several EU member states adopted more stringent regulations aiming to fill targets above that 90% limit set by the EU. But again, whilst the mild weather conditions during the winter months of 22-23 and gas reserves contributed to market stabilisation, it clearly remains uncertain how global political and economic developments will impact the gas markets in the coming years. And that will also be dependent on the harshness of the winter in the years to come too. Absolutely. And as Ravi rightly points out, recent developments do certainly point to some increased global strategic competition. Uh, Ravi, I, I, I hope I am making your point uh, quite um, uh, quite well here. I was thinking uh, whilst you were explaining uh, this, uh, this context in which the uh, terminal sector is operating, I was thinking of the, for instance, the US Inflation Reduction Act, which contains around uh, $750 billion in new spending and tax incentives 
initiatives to advance clean energy, reduce healthcare costs, increase tax revenue, and so on, but um, aims to reduce um, carbon emissions by roughly 40% by 2030 through investing in domestic energy production and manufacturing capacity, jumpstarting the research and development, as well as the commercialization of technologies such as carbon capture and storage and clean hydrogen, whilst also reforming the U.S. planning system to unlock domestic energy and transmission projects. And then we also have other jurisdictions, uh, as Ravi pointed out. Um, for instance, you know, uh, if we look at Japan, we have the Japan's Green Transformation Act, which was published just um, earlier this year in February, which aims to accelerate the carbonization in Japan to achieve its goal of cutting around 46% from Japan's carbon emissions by the turn of uh, this decade relative to their 2013 levels and make Japan carbon neutral by 2050. We also have the likes of Australia, which has launched a, a 15 billion uh, Australian dollars national reconstruction fund to support renewables and low emission technologies. And in the EU, uh, we saw the Green Deal uh, industrial Plan and Net Zero Industry Act, which um, is aimed at accelerating the move towards a competitive green economy. Yes, indeed. And the EU programs that you mentioned serve a dual purpose in a way. So firstly, they're supporting the energy transition, which is clearly the number one global priority. And secondly, they're designed to help decouple Europe from Russian hydrocarbon supply. I think um, another thing that's worth mentioning, and uh, you, you talked about the IRA in the US, it's also that you have similar plans to the IRA in China, so the Belt and Road Initiative. And this shows once again the competitive nature of the world that we are living in when each major jurisdiction is trying to attract uh, novel technologies to become the world leaders in developing transition technologies uh, and so on. So there's still a competition for resources that uh, we are not going to get out of simply because we are transitioning from a hydrocarbon to a um, a green or decarbonized uh, society. And I think having considered this context and the longer supply chains, as well as the geopolitical shifts that have been taking place, as you've mentioned, it's also important to stress that the very, very important role that bulk storage has in the energy infrastructure going forward. Yes, indeed. I mean, we are not going to... Um, we ourselves off um, hydrocarbons for uh, the foreseeable future. I mean, even 2030, 2040 and 2050 projections look at a plateauing and then slow decline of these products. So we have to assume a dependence on long supply chains, exposed supply chains, the presence of unreliable suppliers, competition for resources, uh, the potential for trade route disruption, be it through weather or military um, reasons. And all this put together means that we as a sector and uh, public authorities 
have to really reevaluate the existing strategic starts regime because it was designed for a more peaceful, more stable world. And I think because of that, energy security is clearly in the spotlight. And in parallel with that, so are decarbonisation efforts. They're also in the spotlight. And just to give an example from the UK, here we're just about to launch our own low carbon fuel strategy from from the government, which will influence the role of terminals in the UK. And that clearly needs to focus on the role of terminals with regards to security of supply and resilience. And the low carbon fuels is a, is a good example because um, I think these types of fuels are not included in the existing stocking obligations. So we have to look again at the volumes of fuels, the types of products, the proportions of raw and processed materials. Um, we also have to look at the storage of synthetic fuels and so on. And a lot of people say that the cost is going to be so high. But you have to set this cost against the counterfactual of doing nothing and being rather naive about the risks that we face today. I think the Columbia University Energy Exchange has coined a great word for the current situation called the energy trilemma. And this is how do you combine the notions of energy security, energy affordability and energy transition together because they're quite different um, concepts and they're not necessarily all achievable at the same time but in the storage business at least we can contribute to mitigating the trilemma by holding sufficient buffers of critical products to mitigate price shocks mitigate shortages both for current and future energy carriers yeah, and I think trilemma is a is a fantastic phrase to use because you know we we really shouldn't forget that energy transition presents a large number of challenges for our sector in terminals and infrastructure, and really depending on the energy carriers that are going to be needed in the future to achieve net zero, it's inevitable that significant investment in infrastructure in terminal operations is going to be required. Uh, that infrastructure, those infrastructure improvements will need the relevant planning and hazardous substances consents to be in place before construction starts. And that's a big challenge for businesses because they need that certainty before they start construction phase. And clearly we need to work collaboratively with our regulators and with the UK government to ensure that any new infrastructure is appropriately and safely managed whilst not restricting growth in other areas. Just as an example in the UK, and I know also across Europe, we're experiencing significant challenges with regards to recruiting and attracting new talent into our sector. We have an aging workforce and we need to make sure that we can attract new people, new talent into our sector, terminal operations um, at this incredibly exciting time. And we need to make sure that we have the right skills in place to contribute towards delivering the net zero ambitions that have been set out. And finally, we should also remember which technologies are selected across the wider continental Europe will be country specific. So for example, some countries will seek to invest and build on existing nuclear capability, whilst others will look to other energy sources such as hydrogen, to fulfil their energy needs. 
and that will inevitably influence the role that terminals play in each of those different regions. So... Thank you, indeed, Peter. I just wanted to uh, ask Ravi whether um, he had uh, any uh, addition to uh, this uh, context and uh, what the sector might look like as we look to the future. Well, that's a, a nice way for me to introduce the potential next piece of FETSA research where we are going to reflect on the difference per region on energy transition priorities and also the different future business models for the storage sector. And what we're going to try to do is to see whether there are specific business models that fit specific regions because of their geographic location, their geology, um, their uh, citizens' tolerance, um, I should say, for price increases that the energy transition will entail. And so hopefully you can watch the space for our views on the future infrastructure, the skills that will be needed, the investment levels and so on. Thank you, Ravi. We uh, very much look forward to uh, the next steps and the research that FETSA will be undertaking in this particular context. And I know that the Tank Storage Association will also be involved as a member of FETSA. And we hopefully we will have you again on our podcast to uh, discuss uh, this next piece of research. But before we go, for our listeners, I would like to also mention if I may, that the reports by the Hague Center for Strategic Studies can be found on our website, tankstorage.org.uk, but also on the FETSA website. So these are fantastic reports and we urge anyone uh, who uh, is interested to um, have a look at our websites. So thank you very much, Ravi and Peter, for an informative conversation today. Thank you for the invitation and hopefully see you again soon. Thanks, Nancia, and thanks, Ravi. Hopefully I'll see you again in Brussels very shortly. The bulk storage and energy infrastructure sector has a key role to play in energy security and supply resilience now and as we look to the future. Thank you, Ravi and Peter, for your contribution today, and thank you for listening. Remember that you can find Terminals Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major platforms. As always, check out our website, tankstorage.org.uk, for all latest news and insights on the terminals industry in the UK. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please spread the word. Have a great day.